We're in Matthew chapter 26, and uh, we're not going to read that right now. We're going to wait a little bit, but as we begin, I want to begin with this. How many of you have ever seen this diagram on the screen of a train that says faith, or fact, faith, and feeling? Anyone ever seen this diagram before? If you've been a Christian for a little while, maybe you've seen it. Uh, It's been used, it's really popular uh, among a really you know, a uh, Campus Crusade crew ministries uses this diagram a lot. And what it is, it's a, just a train, a locomotive, a train going down the track, and you have your locomotive, you have your first one up there is the fact as it's moving down. The next one, the, the coal car is faith, and, and the caboose is feeling. And as we move down the track of the Christian life, they say this is the order that we should actually move down the track. We should start with the locomotive. We should start with the facts. And the fact is we come back to always understanding and knowing who God is. So if you get angry, which if I get angry, and we'll talk about that over the next couple weeks, if I feel angry, I need to start with the facts, Scott, What do you know about God? Maybe this person lied to you. Maybe my kids are driving me nuts. But you know what? God is still on the throne. And so I need to stop my anger. So I go to facts. Then I move to the the next caboose. Like I know that. Now I have to put my trust in that fact. I can have my mind, my intellect start there. But then I need to move to the coal car, if you will. And I need to put my faith in the issue. Did I choose? Am I choosing now to believe that God is really on my throne? Right? Everyone with me so far? Right? Everyone seems pretty Christian, right? Then we move to the last one. And that's feelings. And this is the caboose. And we say that the feelings, the caboose, are what, to, are what should be trusted the least. Under no circumstances should we rely on our feelings, right? Why? Why should we never rely on our feelings? Because they always change. And this is like the popular mantra that we have about our feelings is like, yeah, they're good, but what's really important is this fact. What's really important is I put my faith in this fact. The explanation of this imagery of the caboose is that the train will run with or without the caboose, won't it? If you take the caboose off, is the train still going down the track? Right. But... Rather than dismantle this diagram, what I want to just ask is, what do we really do with that caboose? What do we really do with our feelings? Do we suppress them and don't let them control us? Or do we let them dominate us and so our whole life is lived out of emotion? Like I think of it as like this as an imagery of like you're at a five and then something happens and rather than like me, I suppress my emotions. Does that make sense? Like I don't deal with them. I push them down. I don't want to acknowledge them. And so I remain at a five outwardly. But inwardly, I'm going nuts. Some of you go from a five to a ten where you don't process them internally. You process them where? Out loud so everyone can hear them. 
But when we suppress our emotions, or we allow our emotions to dominate us, on the screen we have this statement that says this, when we do that, we merely deaden our humanity. Instead of setting it free to develop richly in all of its capacities under the influence of grace. What it means to be human is to have emotions. What it means to be human is to have feelings. If you know anything about me, if you would have told me a couple years ago I'm going to preach on feelings, I would have been like, heck no. That's not my wheelhouse. But there's a point in uh, late 2018 that I was a complete mess. I had come to realize over the last year of doing some journeying, some counseling, some processing, that I was really, at the end of 2018, emotionally unhealthy. I had, for all intents and purposes, come to the end of my rope. My personal fortitude to make it through anything, always be able to do more, the capacity to always take on more things, was breaking down quickly. I'd hit a wall. I was getting angry more quickly than normal. I was depressed. I was just flat out tired. And I came to the point, I remember at a coffee shop, I told the pastors, I'm just done. Like, done pastoring. I'm done dealing with all the pressures. I'm done people judging me. I'm done with people saying this church doesn't do that. I'm just like, done. And that's when I took my sabbatical. They were like, take a sabbatical. Don't just run yet. I was like, can I just have a day job where I punch a clock? I'd hit a wall where all of my strength and fortitude that I had prided myself on my whole life had come to a place where I just could no longer do it. And what I began to realize over the last year was all of this was my inability because I hadn't grieved properly. Like, we're going to talk through grief, I believe, over the next couple weeks, in a couple weeks as well. But if you don't know my story, my wife died of brain cancer a few years ago, and I hadn't grieved properly. I didn't know how to grieve properly. The only way I knew was like just to keep going 100 miles forward. I was not handling criticism well. I felt betrayal from close friends. And underneath all of it was this emotional unhealth. So I want to really make this claim that emotional, healthy spirituality is necessary for spiritual maturity, such that there is no spiritual maturity without also being emotionally healthy. One writer says this, emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. So, you might be asking yourself, I've never heard this phrase, emotional health. What is emotional health? I'll just look at a minute, really quickly, about what emotional health is. Emotional health is about how we think. It's about how we feel. It's about our sense of well-being, our ability to cope with life events, and how we acknowledge our own emotions as well as others. It doesn't mean being happy all the time. 
Emotional health involves your ability to manage and express the emotions that arise from what you've learned and experienced. So common situations that trigger emotions are what happens when you feel rejected, when you're betrayed, when people challenge your beliefs, when someone watches CNN, when you feel excluded or you feel ignored, your spouse no longer wants to be with you, your job you don't feel needed anymore. All of these situations produce deep down within us these emotions, these feelings, and you can't get away from them. And one of the things I want to say about this is emotional health is not just another category to add to our Christian life. Emotional health falls under the rubric, under the the umbrella of what we call here at Redemption Church, gospel realization. Gospel realization means this, is that the more that we have the gospel implanted on our souls, the more we will look like Jesus. The more it becomes reality in who we are as people, the more we will look like the real image of God, Jesus. That's what gospel realization is. And another layer that we need to add to this gospel realization umbrella is this idea of emotional health bringing our emotions under the lordship of Jesus Christ himself. There's a large swath, there's a large culture in evangelical Christianity that says our feelings are actually the enemy of the maturity process. We often feel shame for feeling our emotions, so we dismiss them and push them down. Like, how many of you think it's a sin to to be afraid, to be fearful, to be sad, to be anxious. Because we know all those verses in the scripture that say what? Don't be anxious. So if we tell someone we're anxious, we're actually opening up and saying we're sinning. And what I want to say is like, we're going to talk about this, but there's a, a nuance there. That just having the feeling of anxiety is not a sin, is it? Like, if some, like you're about to jump off a cliff, okay? Well, it's just like go rock jumping into a big water. You know, like, I feel nervous. I get nervous getting on a stupid roller coaster. Is that sinning? Probably, but it's a roller coaster, not the anxiety. Like, it's not just that initial feeling that you get. It's when you give in to that, and we'll break that down as we go, but we, we don't even want to talk about our emotions. We think that they're the enemy of Christian growth. And so to be spiritually mature is not to allow my feelings to get to me. So how do we not let them get us? We push them down. I can't be angry. I can't be fearful. I can't be anxious. I'm being a bad Christian. And yet in all of this, ignoring any aspect of who we are as men and women made in God's image always results in destructive consequences. And our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, and with others. So if we ignore the emotional part of who we are as humans, it will breed destruction in all of our relationships. In our more honest moments, 
most of us will admit that we're much like an iceberg. I have a picture of an iceberg up there where 90% of it is below the water. Back in September, we asked the Lord to give us a culture here of deep discipleship. And here's what we're getting after. One piece of this deep discipleship is getting down underneath the water into that 90% of the iceberg. The 10% above it represents the way that we conduct ourselves and the, the external changes we make that others can see. We become nicer people. We become more respectful. We attend church. We participate regularly. We clean up our lives. But all the while, the interior world that people can't see beneath the surface is a total train wreck, no pun intended. See, when people have authentic spiritual experiences such as worship or prayer or Bible studies or fellowship, they mistakenly believe that they're doing fine even if their relational life is fractured and their interior interior emotional world is disordered. See, we can't just ignore our emotions. And we know this to be true, but we so often just push them away. Have you ever read the book of Psalms? Do you see them expressing emotion? They're not suppressing, they're not pushing down. What is emotional health? has to do with what is deep down inside of us and how we feel and we're made to express who we are as humans. Some signs that you might be spiritually, emotionally unhealthy. Number one, I've already kind of hinted at this, but I want to look at it a little bit more. Number one, we suppress our emotions. We suppress our emotions. When we suppress our emotions, it's a sign that we are not healthy when it comes to our emotional health. And, and as we dig into this, I want to start with this. That God is a relational God, is he not? And we've been made in his image, which means we are, in a sense, relational beings. We were not made just to live with God forever. We were made to have the love of God fill us so that we might be in relationship with one another. So the thing that makes us most come to life in our lives is relationships. The quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships. Everything that we enjoy about life and the greatest highs and the greatest experiences that we have in life is through relational aspects. And yet we are taught in so many ways to disconnect from our feelings. Parents, you've never done this, but you've never told your kid to go into the room and come out when they're happy, right? In essence, what are you telling your kid? Your feelings are important. Just come out when you can smile. You're not allowed to express your sadness. You're not allowed to express your emotion. We don't do that here. You go do that in your room all by yourself, and when you can come out and be happy, then you can join us. And I'm like, oh crap. I've done that a few times. That's not like an indictment on you. It's just like, can you see like how we just without even thinking about it, just suppress the, the emotions, the feelings, even when we parents. 
Now, yes, we don't want our kids raging. We don't want our kids living out of order and in this, you know, everything a mess. But most of the time, we don't want to deal with their emotions, and so we just push them away. The other thing about feelings is we can't control them, can we? When someone really hurts you, you can't just be happy. They're just there. They just come. You can't control them. They're part of who we are as human. And so when they come, what we do is we pour concrete on them and try to live in denial so that they will never get to us. And do you know why I was so uncomfortable for so long to talk about feelings? Maybe you're like me. Do you know why you don't like to talk about your feelings? Because at the bottom layer, at the lowest level of our feelings, what they do is that they reveal that we are needy people. They reveal our needs. They lead us to a place of vulnerability, and we hate that. The ability to really show who we are through our emotions makes us vulnerable. And just so we're clear on this, transparency and vulnerability are two different things. Transparency is I'll let you know who I am, but I'll have control over how much you know. Vulnerability puts me in a place where I am now under you and you can do something to me or not do something to me. Being transparent and vulnerable are two different things. Vulnerability leaves the power in the position of someone else. Transparency, you remain and keep the power. And when we express our emotions, it leads us to a place of need. And guess what? That's how God made us. To need. Adam in the garden. What was his job? One of his jobs was to name all the animals, correct? And he names all the animals, and there's like, you know, male goat and female goat and male snake and female snake and names all the snakes and he gets to the end and he's like, wait a minute, there's nothing here for who? Me. God brought Adam to a place where he was like, I what? I need someone. Like, needing something, being needy, is not a deficiency. It is part of humanity. We need to come to the place where you can only truly be loved if you put yourself in a place of need. Otherwise, if you have no needs, no one can love you. So, the reason we're uncomfortable with all of our feelings is it reveals our deep need, and so we don't want to see our neediness. We don't want to see how weak and vulnerable we really are as humans, and so we push them down. We push them away. But emotional, healthy spirituality means, no, we need to feel our feelings. We don't ignore them. We need to expose our hearts to our need and run to God with them. Number two, a second sign that you are emotionally unhealthy when it comes to your emotional health is this. You are unable to express your truest and deepest needs to others because you find meaningful Lasting relationships elusive. We are unable to express our truest and deepest needs to others. 
Because we find meaningful, lasting relationships elusive. There's a lot there, but let me start with that first phrase. We're unable to express our truest and deepest needs to others. Many times, uh, many times we're a lot, not able to do this for at least two reasons. Why are you not able to tell your wife or your spouse your deepest, deepest needs? Or other people in the church, or your friends, whoever it may be, why are you unable to do that? Number one, we're afraid of the response we'll get from others, aren't we? If you're really to open up and lay out your soul and give out all of your emotions, you're afraid people are going to do what? Reject you, judge you. We've all had that happen to us before, haven't we? And so every time it happens, we, we, we get another layer of like, that will never happen again, and I will never open up again. And so we close our hearts. And actually what we're doing is we're closing up our emotions, we're closing up our humanity. But another reason we're unable to express our truest and deepest needs for other, to other people is because of what we could call, in short, codependency. I'm only okay if you're okay. I'm only okay if you're okay, and so if I share my deepest needs with you, then you might not be okay, and then I'm not going to be okay, and this whole thing's not going to be okay, and I just want everything to be okay, so I'm not going to share anything with you. And because we're unable to share our truest and deepest needs, you're probably someone who finds meaningful, lasting relationships elusive. Do you have deep, meaningful relationships with people who really know you? Like, not, not like, not like, not like you know me, like Scott likes soccer and Apple and Chipotle. Not like that kind of knowing. But genuinely knows your deepest, darkest secrets, your deepest fears, your, your shame, what makes you glad. See, most of us, I don't think, have those deep, and if we do, they're very minimal, who have ability to have deep, meaningful relationships. If your heart does not draw deeply from the well of emotional and spiritual nourishment of relationship, if your heart does not draw from that well of relational uh, nourishment, you will suffer and unintentionally grow into a lean bush that never fully lives. You'll be like a plant in my garden. Okay? It'll live for a little bit, but it will never blossom. It will never flourish. If you grow up in a world where your feelings have been shamed and you can't truly express, then your roots will never receive the nourishment for growth. You've probably been taught to ignore or be ashamed of how you were truly made. And so throughout life, all of us have these deep emotional and spiritual wounds that we've experienced, and often from the people that we have put our trust in the most. And because of our love for these caregivers, we become capable of rejecting our own hearts and denying our own wounds. So we quit drinking deeply, from the well, the waters of this emotional and spiritual life or relationality, we quit trusting the heart's thirst to be known, 
seen, fed, and expanded. Instead of remaining vulnerable to growth, we resign our hearts to blocking all intrusions of relationship. So, basically what I'm trying to help us to see is like, because of all the hurts and the wounds, we, we close ourselves off rather than open ourselves up to true life. And we close ourselves off because we're afraid that relationship, number one, is not real. Or number two, the relationship is real, but it's not going to last. No one can have real relationships, and if you do, they can't last. But I promise, if we don't address these woundings on an emotional and spiritual level, by admitting and surrendering our hearts, they will never heal. Instead of healing, we'll try to defend our hearts against further pain, leaving our true pain ignored and unattended. When we reject our hearts and we deny our feelings, we become these lean bushes living in resignation, steeped in denial and manipulation. So regardless of much power and wealth and knowledge you actually have, you will never flourish. Because to hide our hearts, to hide who we are, we work to ensure that our hearts can't be touched. We lower our spiritual and emotional expectations. We don't expect much from ourselves. We pretend not to expect much from others. And we deny how much we distrust and need God. And as this process develops and we harden our hearts, we become experts at practicing hopelessness. Not believing that our hearts' yearnings are real, that our hearts were made to have real desires and longings, and that they matter. We lack the faith that we were really made as persons of immense value. So we deny our innate wishes for more life and more love. And catch this. To protect ourselves from hopelessness, we pretend things don't matter. We act as if nothing gets to us. How many times do you say in your conversations with people, oh, it's no big deal. It's fine. Don't worry about it. When in reality, deep down, there's like this emotional wounding that happens. And you can't even be honest to share with someone, you know what, that actually really hurt me. Because we have this practice of protecting ourselves against hopelessness. You know, the old phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yet the deepest wounds you've ever experienced in your life have come from what? Words. The harms, both spoken and unspoken, break our hearts. And what this leads to is we don't take chances with our hearts. We keep our hearts legitimate hungers. What our hearts really want silenced. So that we can have control. C.S. Lewis has kind of said it this way. To love is to open yourself up to risk. If you don't want to experience love, you can lock it away in a box and so that you will never be hurt, but you know what you'll never also have? Real meaning, 
real life and real love found in real relationship with real people. This is what I'm talking about. That if we deny the emotional side of who God has made us to be, it will lead us to dry up and to rot, which will lead us to not have genuine, meaningful relationships, which will actually make your life a spinely bush. Now, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36. Jesus is in the garden. Jesus, being fully God and fully human, Jesus being the epitome of what humanity is, he is the reality, the real image of God. What did Jesus do with his emotional life? Did he suppress it? Did he push it down? While I read this passage that is probably familiar to you, I want you to read it in light of this and ask yourself, what emotions do you see Jesus experiencing in this passage? Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to him, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you guys keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he went away a second time and prayed, My father, it is not possible for this cup to be taken from me unless I drink it. May your will be done. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away once more, and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said, Are you still sleeping? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered to the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Let me ask you, what was Jesus feeling in this scenario, this scene? You can say it out loud. Trouble. trouble. What's another word for trouble? Right there in uh, verse 37, he was sorrowful and troubled. If your heart is troubled, are you anxious? Worried? Concerns? Jesus had great concern, did he not? What else did Jesus experience in the Garden of Gethsemane? What? Overwhelmed. What else? Disappointment? With his disciples. What's another word we could use for what, how his disciples treated him? He was disappointed because he was what? Abandoned. Left alone. You think Jesus was fearful at this point? 
Experience fear? What's the only thing worse than fear? Being fear all by, experiencing fear all by yourself. Here's Jesus in the garden, experience what I would say, sadness. He's experiencing fear. He's feeling alone and abandoned. And we'll get to this in the coming weeks. He's also feeling angry. Anger, we often think, is only a negative word. But anger can actually be a positive thing. Anger means you have passion. You have desires. You want to do something. Jesus in the garden has this whole range of emotions of sadness and fear and abandonment and anger. And what does he do with all those emotions? Does he say they're not real? And I need to just get down with my intellect and my mind and become a better mature Christian by knowing more and more and more and more and more and more about the Bible? Not that that's wrong. That is an an essential component of spiritual maturity. We're not pitting these against each other. We're saying this is a, a holistic approach that when Jesus is in the garden and experiencing all of these emotions, what does he do? Doesn't deny them. He experiences them. He feels them. He's in a place of true need of comfort. And he runs to God. Jesus becomes a picture of what I want to say that healthy spirituality is not the absence of emotions, or Jesus was not healthy. Healthy spirituality here in the picture of Jesus is embracing the emotions. Seeing that the emotions actually are what we call the voice of the heart. You want to know what your heart is actually saying? Look at what your emotions are leading you to do, where they're leading you to feel. Seeing the gift of emotions as they lead us to God is what Jesus demonstrates right here. That to feel overwhelmed, to feel sadness, to feel sorrow, to feel abandoned, is what Jesus experienced. And the beautiful thing about Jesus in this experience is not only is he just the example that he set the example of what it means to be a true human and to experience the emotions and to run to God, but Jesus being the full image of God and bearing the weight of our sin on the cross means that Jesus is not just our example, but he's our victory. That we can now actually run to God with our emotions. We can actually believe that the power of the resurrection now resides in us through the Holy Spirit such that we are now able to fight against our opposition to suppress and deny and reject what it means to be human. God made us emotional people as a voice of our hearts to cry out to God, to cry out to others, to be in relationship with him and others where we will find love and life. And this is the beauty of Jesus. He restores our emotions, our feelings, when we bring them under his lordship and allow his spirit to work through us. And so, oh, this is just an introduction. There's a million things to say. But I want us to believe deeply 
come to see the beauty of emotions, that they're a gift. And they can lead us to places where we will find love and life, just as it did for Jesus. So, Father, thank you that Jesus, as the true image, the true understanding of what it means to be human, experienced all of these emotions that we experienced, which is why the Hebrews tells us he was tempted in every way like we are. He knows what it's like to be us. But all these emotions led him to you. And thank you that in the power of the resurrection, we come to you now through Jesus, and your spirit is allowing us to be shaped into the image of Jesus, into the image of what it means to be human. And so help us over these next few weeks to begin a lifelong journey or continue a journey that some of us may have already been on of what it looks like to, to bring our feelings and our emotions under the lordship of Jesus. And we'll ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.